Thank you for joining the Dark Light Podcast. Here at the Dark Light Podcast, you will find information about the absolute truth. Hang on tight as we go to discover the light in the darkness. Luke 17, 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat and drink. They bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So, this episode, podcast, is part two of the previous podcast entitled Living the Good Life. If you haven't listened to part one, stop what you're doing now and go back and listen to part one. So, in this information that we're given by Jesus the Christ in Luke, a physician who lived in the days of Jesus the Christ, a physician who became a disciple of Jesus the Christ, points out that these two events, the flood, the antediluvian flood, known as Noah's flood, because Noah built an ark and escaped death in the destruction of the entire world, And the event of the fire coming down from the sky, from heaven, and destroying the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. These two events are examples 
of what the end of the world will experience. Jesus the Christ was very, very focused on trying to teach people how to understand concepts of salvation, concepts of immortality, life everlasting. And in that attempt, he points out these two stories as pivotal events in Earth's past history from the Old Testament. And he presents these events as actually happening, as a fact. There are many theologians today, including people like the late Billy Graham, who, although claimed to believe in science, did not believe that the flood of Noah actually happened or that the flood of Noah was worldwide or that the story of Sodom and Gomorrah was literal. And yet, they claim to be Bible-believing theologians. Today, I'm going to step on toes. Today, I'm going to speak the truth. The facts are simple. Jesus the Christ made very straight and plain statements. And these two stories lay the foundation, the groundwork, the framework for how we are to understand the end of all things. The way in which the world will appear, the way in which the world will look at the end of time, at the end of days, when the Son of Man returns. Christians know that as the second coming. Christians look forward to the second coming of Jesus the Christ because he will save all the righteous, all of those who have placed their faith in the truth as it is in Jesus the Christ. So for Jesus the Christ to point out these two stories, the story of Noah entering the ark and the flood which came and destroyed the whole world and the event of Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed by fire. Both of these stories lend themselves to giving us a literal understanding of what will occur in the last days. It is extremely important 
that we pay attention to the details of these two stories. As an example, after hundreds of years, 120 years to be exact, of Noah preaching and teaching and building the ark, no rain had ever fallen. The Bible says that a dew, a mist, would rise from the ground and water the trees and the plants and the grass. No rain had ever fallen. No one knew what rain was. According to the story in Genesis about Noah and the ark, Noah had faith in the word of God. The instructions which God had directly given him said to build an ark because the rain and the floods were coming. He had to believe by faith in the fact that God had spoken the truth and he had no evidence, physical evidence, to support that belief. His faith had to be put in the word of God alone. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Noah, when he had built the ark, mysteriously it says the animals came two by two and seven by seven. The unclean animals came in pairs and the clean animals came in seven by seven. Most theologians ignore that fact and act as if that fact is irrelevant, but that fact lays down a specific detail which lets us know that the clean foods and the unclean foods, as in the clean animals and the unclean animals, of the Levitical Code, which later came under Moses, had already been long established by Noah and God in the first place, long before the flood occurred. So that when the animals came into the ark, Noah already knew how to arrange them he arranged them in clean and unclean sequences so that they were paired on the clean and the unclean side of the ark. This is a very important detail about what we know about the end of the world and the way in which we are to understand the clean and the unclean foods, the things that we should eat and the things that we should not be eating are plainly revealed in the Levitical Code, which is plainly revealed in the fact that the Levitical Code was established before the flood, long before Moses, long before the Israelites, long before there were any Jews. So let's be perfectly clear, this detail is overlooked and sidestepped by theologians 
and biblical scholars today. They ignore the fact that the flood story of Noah, which Jesus points out, is very critical in its details for knowing and understanding the end of the world. These critical details are overlooked by theologians today because they don't like them. It doesn't fit their narrative. And so like the news media of the day, they ignore the facts and then they pump and preach a scenario, a idea that doesn't exist. In everything that Jesus the Christ says, there is a lesson. There is something to be learned. There is a parable. And in that parable, we find the truth. The other story of fire coming down from heaven differentiates between the flood story and what will happen at the end of the world. At the end of the world, there'll be no flood of rain. We know that because in the story of Noah, God put a rainbow in the clouds. And he says, that will show you and prove to you that I will never again cover the earth in water. I will never send a flood that will destroy all of humanity again. I will only do it this one time. We have to understand that once Noah entered the ark, it says that God and angels shut the door and it could not be opened. It then says that Noah lived inside the ark for seven days while everyone else laughed at him, partied, ran around and pretended like Noah was crazy because there still was no rain. It took an entire week before the rain actually showed up, before the clouds showed up, before it began to rain and rain and rain, and it never stopped raining for 40 days and 40 nights. These details are completely ignored and overlooked by the theologians of today. The pastors of today go so far as to say the story of Noah and the flood is just a fable. It's just inserted in the Old Testament. When we see Sodom and Gomorrah, the details there are as just, are just as important. The importance of the details of the flood story and the Sodom and Gomorrah story of fire coming down from heaven and destroying Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities is extremely important. Do we know where Sodom, the city of Sodom, actually existed? In spite of the fact that theologians claim that The story of Sodom is a myth. We know today where Sodom and Gomorrah actually stood. And it was at the bottom of what we now call the Dead Sea. So that the story of a real city 
being burned to the ground, destroyed, annihilated by fire coming down from God out of heaven is the same scenario that we get in the book of Revelation about God destroying the world with fire coming down from God out of heaven. Jesus chose these two stories, these two factual stories, to give us details so that we might be able to understand the time of the end. So what are the details within the story of Sodom and its destruction? If we go back into the book of Genesis, we can find the details of the story of the destruction of Sodom. It is very critical that we look and understand the details which come down to us today from these two stories. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Why? The Bible tells us that God had decided that no righteous people, no good people, no upright people, no people that believed in God, that practiced the truth, that wanted to be accepted by faith, by God. No one of that caliber, no Christian, so to speak, no religious person, no exemplary person that wanted to live a good life existed in Sodom. Sodom was full of intelligent people, people that worked hard, people that built houses, people that lived full lives. But God had seen that they were evil, so evil that he destroyed them just like he destroyed the people in Noah's day. He used a different type of element, fire instead of water, but he still destroyed them in their entirety. Not a single person, with the exception of Lot and his wife that later famously turned into a pillar of salt because she slowed down and looked back at the destruction of Sodom, and she wasn't supposed to do that. She was commanded never to look back, but she did. And as a result, she turned into a pillar of salt, according to the story. Lot and only his two daughters escaped the evil, despicable city. And Lot's two daughters, who he had told in the story to the men who had come to his house because they wanted to have sex with the men that were visiting and they were in fact two angels it is very important to understand that these details cannot be overlooked and in my in spite of the fact that 
Lot wanted to give away his virgin daughters to the mob. They didn't want his daughters. They wanted the two men. But Lot was willing to give away his two virgin daughters. And later we find that those two daughters got their father drunk and got pregnant off of him, had sex with their father while he was drunk. So it shows that even though Lot saved his two daughters, they weren't very upright, good, moral people. And yet, that was the best that God could find in all of the city. Lot and his two daughters. Oh yeah, and his wife that ended up turning into a pillar of salt. And she was lost too, because she didn't follow directions that God specifically had told them, don't look back. When God speaks, we are to listen. When God tells us the truth, we are to accept it by faith. The details of these two stories are critical to understanding living the good life. What does it mean to actually live a good life? Living a good life means nothing if you have no faith in the truth as it is in Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ has laid down the fundamental guidelines, the foundation, the framework that we must follow in these last days if we want eternal life, if we want to be saved from this hell, from this world that will be destroyed by fire. The first time it was destroyed by water. The second time, it'll be annihilated with fire. If you want to be saved from that destruction, from the destruction and the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah, you must have faith in the truth as it is in Jesus the Christ. Make no mistake. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that is what he will reap. Have faith in the truth as it is in Jesus the Christ. Romans 1 verse 28 through 32. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, 
God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Disobedient to parents. Without understanding. Covenant breakers without natural affection. Implacable, unmerciful, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Chapter 1, verse 7. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. It is interesting to note that most theologians, Bible scholars, acknowledge that the book of Jude is in fact a written copy of an Old Testament manuscript book that we no longer have. Jude was making a statement, a written statement, a written record of a very specific group of verses that indicate some details which are often overlooked by theologians and those who know better, those who teach and preach. The ideas presented in the book of Jude come to us from the Old Testament. It ties the Old Testament intrinsically to the New Testament, especially in the light of the fact that Jesus the Christ makes reference to Sodom and Gomorrah as examples of the end of days and the condition in which we will find the world at the end of time. Jude, chapter 1, just one page long, has many details which fly in the face of 
so-called common Christian theology. It is for this reason that most theologians do not take the time to understand or to explain the book of Jude to their parishioners, their followers, their churches. It is because churches like the Roman Catholic Church, the Lutherans, the Baptist Church, these organizations have adopted theology which is inconsistent with the teachings of the book of Jude. In this particular verse, we see that the phrase sexual immorality is used. This phrase in English comes from a word which gets translated as fornication. But the word fornication in English is so general as it can also mean marriage. Back in the day in Old England when the British Empire had a king you could get the consent of the king to fornicate. We call that today marriage. Now let me be clear. The Bible says that marriage should be honored by all. But back in England, when you wanted to get married, the king would order that a word an acronym, a sign, would be placed on the master bedroom. And this sign would be written with the letters F-U-C-K. Fornication under consent of the king. So that those passing by the master bedroom would know that the fornication that was going on in that room, the consummation of marriage was a legal act, which was approved by the king. So let me be clear. Marriage is a form of fornication, a legal form, but a form of fornication nonetheless. So that when we look at this phrase, sexual immorality in the book of Jude the word becomes very interesting because it is translated from a Greek word which is only used one time that's right one time in the Bible so when we see this word it has its origin in the word porneos, but they added an additional word to the beginning of the word in Greek, making it exclusive to the book of Jude. It is not used in common 
everyday literature. So Jude was trying to show a very specific meaning to this word. This word is translated and given a number by the Strong's translation team and concordance. The number is 1608. And as I said before, it's only used one time. This word is understood by most theologians to mean fornication, fornicators, those who fornicate in a negative sense. But it has an additional twist to the front of the word, an additional meaning, which means to do things in excess or to do things that are almost illegal in an excessive way. So that this word becomes very specific to the idea of sexual immorality taken to a level of debauchery, a level of almost illegal, overly wicked. So when we compare this idea in the book of Jude to, for instance, the statement in 1 Corinthians 5.1, where it says it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. This phrase, sexual immorality, comes from the word porneos, which is where we get the English word pornography. So that in this verse, the specifics of the sexual immorality are a little different in particulars than in the book of Jude. I want to make this distinction because most theologians don't bother to tell you that. So whenever you see the phrase sexual immorality, you just assume that hey, just means a bunch of bad stuff. But the Bible is more specific than that. And this is why when Jesus the Christ specifically points out Sodom and Gomorrah as being an example of those who live at the end of the world, it is a very specific example with very specific details. When we get to the book of Revelation, we see this phrase 
sexual immorality, sexual perversion, used again. Revelation 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So now, theologians, they don't explain to you that this second death, referred to in the book of Revelation, has a direct correlation to Sodom and Gomorrah and the burning of Sodom and Gomorrah. In the book of Jude, it tells us that Sodom and Gomorrah stand as an example of those who will, in the future, suffer eternal fire. Well, logically, the first question to ask is, is Sodom and Gomorrah burning today? And the answer is no. They're at the bottom of the Dead Sea. Hence the pillars of salt, which, according to the story of Lot's wife, she turned into a pillar of salt because she did not follow the instructions of the angels not to look back. As the cities burned to the ground, they were annihilated, but they're not burning today. So that the aspect of eternal burning fire is not that the fire burns forever, but rather the fire comes from God who is eternal. So that this fire is unique in that it is sacred fire. It is eternal sacred fire which comes from God. And in the Old Testament, they made a distinction between sacred fire and everyday common fire, the kind of fire you can light with a match. There is a story in the Old Testament about two priests that got drunk and they lit their censers with common fire, not the sacred fire from the altar of the Lord. And because they lit their censers with common fire as they approached the temple they approached the tabernacle the house of God fire came out of the most holy place and consumed them burned them up in the presence of all the people the Bible is very clear from beginning to end the Old Testament and the New Testament are consistent. The sacred, eternal fire of God is eternal because of its source, not because of how long it burns. 
But many theologians today have used the erroneous theology of an eternal burning hellfire, which was then translated into the English versions of the Bible to make it appear on a surface reading that the eternal fire was because it burned for all eternity. Hence the concepts of hell and Hades and the three-headed dog protecting the land of the dead. These mythological concepts were highly revered by the Greeks. And it must be understood that because the translators are looking at Greek manuscripts of the Bible, they oftentimes overlook the discrepancies between the Hebrew, the original manuscripts, and the alternate languages that have become used commonly today to translate from, such as the Septuagint, the LXX manuscripts. So, here in the book of Revelation, the word that is translated in English as sexually immoral, which most theologians use in a general sense as anything which is immoral, comes from a specific Greek word which has a Strong's concordance number of 4205 which is pornos, but it specifically means a male prostitute, one who prostitutes himself. So let me be clear. Even though theologians view this verse as referring to any sexually immoral act, In the book of Revelation, the word translated from the Greek into English has a specific meaning, which means male prostitute, one who practices prostitution. The Bible is very clear in its details. The problem is the translators. They oftentimes overlook the details and hope you do too. So let me be clear. The Bible is trying to show us once again in these details that in the end of days when the world will be very chaotic. It will have the appearance and similarities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The terrible acts 
which went on in Sodom and Gomorrah that caused those cities to be burned, incinerated, destroyed, obliterated from the earth were primarily due to their immorality, their sexual immorality, specifically their male homosexuality, taken to a level of extreme, which is indicated in the story of Lot, who offered his daughters as gifts, his virgin daughters, to the male mob who wanted to have sex with the male angels who had come to visit Lot. Leviticus 18 verse 22 tells us do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. This is detestable. So the Bible is consistent. The Old Testament and the New Testament say the same thing. Many theologians like to argue the fact that the New Testament, which is sealed in the New Covenant blood of Jesus the Christ, is somehow better, different than the Old Covenant, which was given to Moses by Jehovah God. This discrepancy in theological thought has caused much division within the church over time. The idea that we get to pick and choose the pieces of the Word of God that we like and then we get to discard the pieces we don't like is made obvious by people like Martin Luther the Roman Catholic priest who later is known as the father of the Reformation in his attempts to reform the Roman Catholic Church because he could see that they had departed from the faith. They no longer followed the Word of God. And yet, even Luther could not deal with the book of James. He called it a book of straw and chaff. So we have to recognize that even if our personal beliefs do not agree or do not adhere to the Word of God, it is still true that Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God.
you have been listening to The Dark Light. Thank you for joining us. Please like, subscribe, and tell your friends about The Dark Light Podcast. We would love to have you here each and every day to discover the light in the darkness.